Hi, I'm Carla Bailo from the Center for Automotive Research, and welcome to the Car Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Edgar Failer. He's a senior industry analyst here at Car, and we're going to talk all about the earnings reports that we've seen over the last few uh, few days, actually, and what they mean, and maybe you know digest a little bit of the elements of risk included in those and some of the surprises. So stay tuned. So Edgar, welcome. And this has just been one heck of a week with announcements from you know, many of the automakers with their sales, with their profits, with their projections. You know, I, some of them have quite frankly surprised me with year-end projections staying flat. And I'm, I'm not surprised by some of the decreases in profitability over last year considering the um, you know, lack of inventory and maybe even upcoming lack of people wanting to purchase a car because of inflation, but we'll deal with that later. But what are your thoughts from some of the announcements that have been made? It's been an interesting sort of report report card season. That's how we investors use this. Um, in my background, being an, an investor, that's how we think about this. So yes, it's been an interesting reporting season thus far. We've got a lot of the bellwethers uh, who've, who've come out, Ford, General Motors, BorgWarner, some of the international automakers as well. Uh, so we as investors of looking at the current the current earnings, but really almost equally important the outlook. And to your point, some have uh, are holding holding fast, holding steady with the guidance. Some of the uh, mostly automakers, but some of the suppliers have uh, facing really the brunt of a lot of the commodity inflation. The, the uh, have uh, been hit harder and are going to then go to the automakers seeking price relief. And that will take some time to flow through. Um, so it's been really a mixed bag. It, it depends on which side of the table you're on, if you're an automaker or a supplier. Yeah, and Bosch today is the first supplier that's come out and said, hey, we're going to raise prices. And at least a lot of the conversations I've been having with OESA and, and other suppliers is they've really been been you know, just pinched in the past few months. They've they've absorbed these extra costs for material. They've absorbed these extra costs for logistics. And they really haven't had any wiggle room with the OEMs to renegotiate. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see based on, you know, everyone saying our guidance is staying the same. They must be thinking one of two things. They're going to keep costs where they are today, which means they're not going to accept these new prices, or they're going to increase the price of new vehicles even more. I, I don't know which way they're thinking. I think it has to actually probably come from both because you're, you're seeing some of the guidance they're providing to investors is that they are expecting commodity inflation for in almost double for, for Ford, General Motors uh, that have announced it thus far for the year. Um, so they, there is, must be some embedded expectation they are going to have to respond and provide some price uh, relief. Uh, but in order to do that, to offset that, it has to come from somewhere. So a lot of that has to come from uh, improved mix. Uh, mix is also is already very, very strong. And some from uh, uh, increasing prices. And, and, and those are at record levels as well. So they're working a little bit perhaps of a tightrope. Um, uh, for the second half of the year, so I can I, I can understand your, it's a terrific question, as to what, 
what's got to give? How are they going to And, how and gonna then do I worry about, you know, the, the consumer. Because we know right now the consumer purchasing, that's why Mix is so strong. You know, there are some wealthy Americans that are purchasing these products today, well above the average household income. How, how, how long is that going to last? We know there's pent-up demand now. But, and we know the rich just keep getting richer since the pandemic and the middle and the lower income. Just I saw a chart this morning showing how disparate the pandemic has been to the, the different uh, classes in our, in our civilization, let's just say. Um, how much pent-up demand is there really? And is there a point where even those high-income earners are going to say, I'm not going to pay you know, 70000 for that. I, personal story, I was looking at purchasing a vehicle recently, and I've always had my eye on a particular model, and I'm like, I'm just going to want to check and see how much it is. It started at $68,000, and my first thought was, I just want to drive it. I don't want to live in it. You know, so is there a point where even, you know, higher income people are going to say, that's enough, you know? And on top of that, we're going we're gonna to see a series of interest rate hikes. So that will, that will impact financing costs as well, which will further drive that pressure, perhaps, for, for most Americans, for most you know, middle America, for uh, uh, the middle class in general. So, yeah, it is, a, it is a problem. They're walking a sort of a tightrope, I feel like, the automakers uh, in, in trying to live up to those expectations. Also very important under this, uh, underlying this is there many of the automakers they're under pressure to show good results for a number of reasons they're supporting uh, a very uh, significant investments in in the battery electric uh, in this electrification uh, and a number of plants and then also still supporting significant losses in startup uh, with autonomous vehicles uh, so I mean it's that's in the order of magnitude about a billion dollars a year for for Ford and General Motors uh, just the autonomous vehicle uh, portion of it. So uh, they're running out of levers to kind of pull, uh, and uh, and I think the you know the stock prices reflect some of that. The you know the investors' concern. Um, I mean, these stocks are down uh, more than the more than the major How much averages. How are they down? About uh, I haven't uh, checked lately. Sure, uh, they're down about twenty-five to thirty uh, percent year to date. Uh, the overall averages for the market, the S and P's, I think, down 13 percent or something like that. So it's so investors are cautious uh, uh, on the automaker's ability to something. They're worried something might go wrong and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, some of the assumptions that have gone into the business plans are starting to show signs of perhaps volatility. I think the other piece that we haven't even you know touched on so far is what about the investments that need to be made in electrification, including supply chain? We've seen also a number of partnerships with lithium companies, with cobalt companies. And if you look at Tesla, they've done this for years. They've, they've put their supply chain right in their friendly, let's just call it their friends compartment. But for the other OEs, that's not typically how they do business. You know, they rely on subs to gather all those raw materials. So now we're fighting, kind of fighting for raw materials. Who can get the next Australian company, mining company, to work with them? Right. So that not only mining, though, but 
I believe it's also refining, isn't it? It goes all the way upstream, uh, Carl. It's very, very interesting. So we as in, well, as in investors got the first look at LG uh, earnings as a public company. And I, I think investors are looking beyond the initial performance of the company, but really looking to get glimpses of that, uh, who are they partnering with, mm-hmm. uh, their long-term strategy, their, uh, their strategic investments. To your point, uh, LG even, so it's not just the automakers that are making some of these investments upstream that we haven't seen uh, before uh, like this in my uh, uh, 30-year uh, career, but uh, even from the folks like LG, and it's to secure its cobalt, nickel, uh, lithium. So there's, uh, my concern is around some allocation uh, mm-hmm. with, with some of these things being an extremely tight supply over the next, uh, presumably over the next decade. Mm-hmm. And we, we've done a lot of work and talked to a number of lithium extractors, mines, in some of our, our work at CAR. And some of these mines are sold out for, uh, for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Uh, with uh, to try to meet some of this demand. So it's a very, very interesting time. But to your point, that's just another, uh, these are additional investments that have to be made. Um, at least that's the view of the automakers mm-hmm. and uh, to secure and uh, make sure that uh, they can execute on these on these targets that they, they put out there. Yeah, because fundamentally, the electrified targets they've put out there is what is also helping keep their stock prices where they are, right? Yes, it's a bit of a circular, uh, uh, yes, uh, equation here. And as far as calculus and the, and the thought process, yes. So um, it is, uh, you know, it is very much important, yes. Yeah, and... <laughs> These agreements that are being made with the various lithium companies, from what I've seen, they are not exclusive. They're still allowing these companies to work with other, I mean, the companies are not going to be hamstrung to one. I don't know about Tesla's agreements. They may have something different. But at least the ones that I've seen recently announced, basically it still leaves the door open for them to work with other automakers. And I think it's where I think it's where who has the leverage. I mm-hmm. think in these negotiations, if you're a mine, they have the leverage For because sure. they have the access For to sure. the raw materials. So that makes a lot of sense that they wouldn't want to be exclusive and tied to an automaker. Uh, so uh, yeah, that that's uh, I think they're being very careful to make sure uh, not to get tied tied down too much. Yeah. So you know, as I was looking at the figures as they came out, one of the first things that struck me was electrification is still going full bore. Didn't say anything about cutting back on AVs either, but I guess if they have to make the choice, I would say they're going to go EV because that's part of their, you know, their company structure now, their plan, their new models, their investments, and it's real. It's coming soon, and the customer is saying it's time. You know, from a from a full population standpoint, maybe not globally, but at least in in the key areas where most of the automakers, you know, are, are going to deploy these products. So I think that's true. But that part of the business strongly relies upon a strong mix and strong sales of the highly profitable products on the roadways today, the trucks and SUVs. So I didn't hear too many people talking about the impact of inflation or consumer confidence or, as you mentioned, the, the interest rate of loans and the long term of loans that we're seeing and any risk on that side. And I'm surprised that nobody raised that 
you know, we're going to have to watch this carefully because that demand is what's driving this. We're all talking about it on the investment space. And as you said, maybe that's, you know, it's probably why the stocks have decreased. But why, you know, the automakers are staying kind of mum on the consumer side and still saying we've got strong demand. They're not seeing an end to that demand. Right. I think there's there's some hope, and uh, I think the a lot of the forecasts is that there is that pent-up demand. And people have more money in their pockets than they've had in months in a lot of cases. Right, right. Years. Yes, and, you know, there are, there are some folks out there uh, that think, that this market uh, under sort of normal conditions could be close to an 18 million unit SAR mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here in the U.S. and it's you know currently somewhere around 14 or uh, 14 and change. So I think there is that that hope, that expectation, the planning, the assumption that there is some of that pent up demand. There have been you know some cracks, some things in Europe that uh, with that showing that. You know, Europe, of course, is much more exposed with the, the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, natural gas. Natural gas, right. Natural gas is up uh, uh, 150% year-to-date. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other en- energy inputs are up 50%. So the so not only is the inflationary side of it acute uh, and the impact uh, in, in Europe, but I think there's also uh, some – there could be – some emergent there could be some concern uh, in the well in the German market is showing some signs around some of the uh, um, that the consumers the expectation the the confidence is not perhaps there or what it used to be so uh, there are some things they're going to have to automakers are going to have to navigate uh, with Europe of course you know having said that the Detroit three are very different automakers today than they were five years ago they don't have the same exposure to Europe um, that they that they once did mm-hmm. uh, but suppliers are much more global so they are sure. feeling that that's just another it's that it's that uh, natural gas the energy it's it's commodity it's it's labor freight it's absolutely every category yeah uh, that's impacting them in, in acutely in Europe so and in a global economy it's not segregated anymore right Ford still has a pretty good presence in Europe. Stellantis, of course, is heavily exposed um, yeah. in Italy, France, um, Germany, now that they have Opel in their, in their house, too. One of the most concerning things that I saw was Germany's really concerned that Russia may, uh, may stop supplying natural gas to them. They've already stopped to their neighbor, to Poland, probably because they're ex- accepting Ukrainian refugees, which is the right thing to do. But, I mean, they could be next. And as I understand it, the automakers, yes, they've been all working on their sustainability goals. So they have a lot of um, new sources of energy, clean sources of energy, but they still rely on that natural gas for 77% of their energy to run their plants. And if indeed that happens, they're just simply not going to have the product which may bode well for other automakers if they can get their volumes up where they need to be. But, I mean, that kind of situation has a ripple effect. There's no way to prevent it. You can't say, well, it's happening in Europe, it's not happening here. Kind of like the people are saying now, the Ukraine war is happening, I don't care, it's not here. Um, it, it just, you think, oh, my goodness, you know, let's, everything is global, right? Something happening there is happening here. But... Um, 
you know, the dynamics of this are very interesting to see, you know, what's next and what that's going to mean. And we didn't hear a lot about that in the in the numbers that came out. We did hear a lot of it in the European automakers announcements in terms of their worries about Ukraine and and global supply chains. We didn't hear too much of it here, but it, it's it, it will impact. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, you're right, Carla. The uh, because they're they're feeling it the immediate impacts in Europe, of course, uh, more than we are. But to your point, there are. This is a very global, uh, intricate sort of supply chain that's uh, uh, that we're really finding out. It's been exposed by the semiconductor challenge uh, and shortage, which uh, this the, the situation in Europe is certainly not helping. Uh, if anything, it's exacerbating it. And we were all hoping, uh, those of us that are researchers and, and, and follow the industry, that we would be working through a lot of that you know, that got all the headlines last year with the semiconductor shortage, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem to be quite behind us. So when you add up all these things, uh, there are a number number of challenges uh, um, that these automakers uh, are, 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 are feeling and will have to address in order to, to keep these, uh, keep that guidance for the, for the rest of the year. Right. And, and, you know, we didn't even touch upon workforce, but workforce is another huge issue. We just can't get enough people to do the jobs and and the new plants, partly because of that, but partly because of the electrified vehicle manufacturing process in general, are going to require a lot more automation to to be included. So um, I I don't think I've ever been in such a dynamic time in the automotive industry. Um, Here at CAR, we'll continue, of course, to follow the economics, to be able to give our best analysis of these um, earnings reports and earnings calls and you know, we give our own forecast as well. So we'll continue probably talking about this in a minimum every three months in this podcast, and we'll probably be issuing many other white papers and things out in the meantime. And Edgar's one of our main economists here that I always learn something when I talk to him. So thank you, Edgar, for joining me today. <laughs> thank you, Kathy.